the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But my mother and my father said we'd learn to love each other. But Golda, do you love me? True Affections, that's what we'll explore next on Truth For Today. To quote a very old soap opera, love is a many-splendored thing. Hi there. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We turn our thoughts and our attention once again to 1 Peter chapter 1 today, the true affections of those who know God. We can define love all day long and never match up with what the other person is using to define love. But God has an amazing way of sorting it all out. And that's what we're exploring next. Here's Pastor Phil Howard on this edition of Truth For Today. Did you know the American way of life is not to be contented about anything? Don't be contented in your marriage. Don't be contented with your house. Don't be contented with your finances. For to remain restless and wanting is the American image. Because we've got to have something to be selling. We want you to buy our product. You know what the enemy of covetousness is? You say, I have all I need in Jesus. I'm content. I'm not envious. I'm not jealous. I got just the wife God thought I needed. I don't need a new model. I've got probably all the house I can reasonably afford. Why do I want another? I, I just am contented. Well, come on. Lust, seduction, covetousness, everything. No, you need that new car. You need those new mags. You need that new, you need uh, <laughs> it's just like, and all of a sudden, wait, wait, wait. I'm satisfied. My daughters, they say, you're so hard to buy for. Every Christmas I get this. Birthdays. You're hard to buy for. Why? They don't know any need I have. I say, What I need is for you to write me a glorious card on how wonderful a dad I've been to you. (laughs) I don't need another shirt. I don't need—I need your love. I don't need another pair of shoes. It's the cards I keep, and sometimes I wish you would have bought a nicer shirt. (laughs) No, 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 it's the cards I keep. It's the cards. Isn't that right? It's not, oh, me the need. The need is I feel my need to be loved by the girls I fathered. And all you dads share. You're not expecting them to pay a payment. Well, contentment. Fourth thing, God gives his people peace. Have you forgot how long ago it was since you got peace? 
the wreck you were before you were saved. I was a wreck at 14. The last month before I was saved, I was a wreck because I thought I was plunging into hell. I was under so much conviction and fearful of the wrath of God. I was a wreck for sure. What about you? When God found you, do you remember what life was like before he flooded you with peace? And you found out you had peace with God, and then you started learning by prayer and trust. When you're in the midst of different crises, you can have the peace of God. We take it for granted, but peace is shalom, shalom. No wonder the Jewish people, shalom, peace, health, prosperity, well-being. This is the, one of the catchphrases for God's people. I'm well with God. I'm at peace with God. Oh, my neighbors may like me. They may not. I may be getting along the job. I may not. But I'm at peace with God. Oh, what a sweet. I think of Ernest Snyder passing away. At peace with God, sailing home to the arms of Jesus. What, what could buy you that consolation to watch your daddy slip into the presence of God and know that all is well? It is well. It is well with my soul. We take it for granted, maybe, but peace that delivers you from a therapist's couch that might deliver you from all kinds of unnecessary medications, and you just found it in Christ. The peace we used to sing, I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. How I used to love that broadcast. I found a place of rest in Christ. Fifth thing is uh, forgiveness instead of grudge-bearing. Now, this is a sure affection of God in a person's life. When God saves people, he turns them into forgivers, and they give up their grudges. Did you know what? If God was as grudge-bearing as some people, you would empty heaven of every sinner that's made it. Because nobody gets to heaven unless God forgives If God doesn't forgive, if he just keeps grudges, we've got to vacate heaven because you're not going, and I'm not going. I'm going to heaven because I'm forgiven, not because I'm perfect. And I see Christians fighting. I see some feuds that have gone on for years. I say, I I have to stretch my meaning of Christianity to call you Christian. When do we forgive? Jesus says you ought to be praying daily, and every time you pray, you're saying, and Father, forgive me while I'm forgiving them. I know I'm a jerk about a lot of things, and a lot of things I may even forgive me, and I'm forgiving them at the same time because I want to imitate God the Father who for Christ's sake has forgiven me of all my sins, Ephesians 4.32. Did you know it becomes a way of life that Christians cease to be picky when they really are drinking from this fountain? Because they are so aware, I've been forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Oh, you need forgiveness? Let me return the favor. Instead of saying, you dumbo, don't ever do this again. You hear? Jesus said, don't tell them never again. Tell them you got 469 more chances to do it today. Because we're to forgive seven times 70. Have you ever done that in a day? Instead of, don't ever do that again. Oh, shut up. (laughs) 
What if God told you that? I forgive you this time, but you better never do it again. You got it? Why do we treat people that way? How long did it take you to break some habits and to learn good speech? I hear Christians still cussing. Man alive. I stopped cussing the month after I got saved. As a pastor, I've picked up hell and damn once in a while. But they only seem like the appropriate word, but I don't feel like I'm cussing. I really mean that. Has God just come into your life and cleaned your mouth? Well, he says, forgiveness. Does anyone here feel forgiven? Or is forgiveness just purely intellectual? I feel forgiven. There's no weight on me about any of my sins. None. None of my sins do I feel. I hope I don't do one before the service is over so I get the weight. But I feel clean because my, my sin bearer has borne it. I feel forgiven. I left the church that night as a forgiven sin. The weight fell off. Wow. He affects you. Instead of saying, I made a decision for God tonight. Yes. How do you feel? Well, the same, but I made the decision. Oh. Try again. Wait till you really get saved. Because he will take the load of unforgiveness. Oh, you mean you've always hated your father? Yeah, still do. Oh, well, you, well, you haven't yet been saved. Well, I, I hate that woman. I hate. Wait, wait. Have you heard of God floods you with a forgiving spirit? Well, you don't know what they did. Don't have to. Can God flood your heart? with forgiveness that from him and flood your heart so you pass on forgiveness because it's the overflow. Yeah. God's people. So you get a Stephen saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Where did he learn to pray like that? His Savior said it on the cross. That's why Christians are seen as saps and easy people to run over because you know they'll forgive. Well, we have to admit There's something in the people of God that wants to forgive. It's a new birth. It just comes with it. Well, I have seven minutes. Six, sorrow for sin. Did you know that once you become born again, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, God produces godly sorrow in you when you sin. Now, let me explain that. God says he will never be angry with you again now that you are in Christ. He will never be angry with you. Never. You'll never see any of his wrath on you, ever. It's over. Romans 8, 1, John 3, 36, the whole New Testament. The judgments pass if you're in Christ. You know what God's done? What used to make him angry with you now grieves him. Do you know the difference? You know, when your child disappoints you, it's one thing to get angry, put them on curfew, take away the car keys, and give a bunch of ultimatums. That's one thing. That's one kind of response, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But there's another that says, you broke my heart with what you did. You broke my heart. I'll grieve over this for days. 
I caught, I got caught in a stealing ring when I was young. And I never forget a woman turned me in. And when I went to my dad, expect we went in the bedroom. That's where he spanked us. And I expected the spanking. One of the hardest lessons I ever went through is when he showed me his hands. And all of us boys, we have something that makes your hands go like this. And his hands were all beat up from wire rope and steel. And he showed me his hands. I'm only in third grade. Had me feel them and all this. And I thought, what's this about? Go ahead and spank me. Get it over with. And as he showed me his hands, he said, you know, son, he said, I dedicated these hands to meeting all your needs. And when you go out and steal, you tell me I'm working for nothing. It grieves your daddy. I'm so sorry you feel you got to steal. I broke down crying. I was uh, eight years old, fell into his arms and asked his forgiveness. I wanted to steal. I didn't want to hurt my dad. I didn't want him to take it personal. And did you know what now that you know Christ? All you do that sin is now personal against one who's got wounds in his hands for you. And he's saying, uh, I thought I'd be enough for you. But every time you sin, it's a statement, God's not enough. I need something he didn't want to give me. And I, I reach beyond the boundary and get it. And what does God do? Ah, that makes me sick and tired with you. No, you hear him saying, guess what? I put the spirit in you, and he just sent us a message. He's grieving. Stop grieving the spirit. And you, brother, in 2 Corinthians, you've been sleeping with your stepmother, and the churches had to deal with your sin. He finally told them, know this. Godly sorrow, sorrow that comes from God, will produce repentance, and repentance will deliver you from the sin, but the sorrow of the world leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to deliverance. God will so grieve in us who have been affected by him. I cannot impersonally sin anymore. I've got this Holy Spirit with me 24 hours a day. I can't get away with anything wrong without him taking it personal. And sometimes I could justify it, but I've got this grieving spirit in me. And it's like I've got to stop what I'm doing and say, what, what did I do? He said, you know what you did. You know your attitude. I'm grieved you did that. That is a divine. You know why so many people are sleeping around and doing so much sin in the church today? They're not saved. The Holy Spirit would drive them wild. You can't keep up a life of sin for long. He will break you down with grief. He's designed it. He's designed it. And the pastors may not know, but he knows. What are we? Just other sinners. But you got to, you're carrying around in your body the Holy Spirit. That's one of the great effects of knowing him. Let me just read you the others. Seventh, hope. We were born again in hope, according to Romans. Saved to hope. If you looked at Romans 15, 13, that we use a lot in counseling here, we have a hope, a peace, and a joy that he says in that verse is fed 
by the Holy Spirit, not by positive thinking, not by optimism courses, but by the Holy Spirit, he makes us abound in hope, which is expectation of good things. Godly fear, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, Over and over, Ecclesiastes 12 says the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. You want to obey a God you fear, and I take in this fear you reverence, you're in awe of, you want his approval. His opinion means everything to you. Number nine is humility. And Jonathan Edwards was big on this. That when you become born again, you become childlike. You don't become childish. You become childlike. And that means teachable, easily entreated. Don't children forgive quick. You spank them. And two hours later, they forgot. They just want a banana for lunch. They just go right on. They're not keeping a little record. Daddy, you spanked me yesterday. No, adults do that. Children or something. And Jesus said, when you enter the kingdom of heaven, you come into it like a child. And there's a humility that comes with those truly saved. That Jesus, or rather Paul said, the reason you Philippians are fussing so much is pride is running your church. And when pride runs it, you're always in a fight. And he said, why don't you be humble among yourselves. And I can imagine someone saying, show me someone who acts that way. He says, 2-5, let this attitude constantly be in you, which was first demonstrated in Jesus. Did you know the humblest member of our church is the owner of it, and that's Christ? The humblest member in the church is the head of the church. You can't go any lower than he went to build the church, right? And those who truly know God, you won't sense greatness, I don't think, as much as you sense servanthood, contentment in their role. There's something about the fact that a sinner gets to know God. I think it can have a forever humbling effect. And read, if you get the chance, Jonathan, and he'll give you pages about the humility of truly knowing God. Tenth thing is you come to hate sin. The fear of God brings the hate of sin, and it just happens. And I, I wrote down the verse, Psalms 101, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. I was with one of our missionaries one time, and on their TV, they had that little model. I will set no evil thing before my eyes. And I said, what a place for you to put it. He said, well, we don't get to watch much. I would end with these two things. Fervency for God. Fervency for God. And uh, I think of Finney has in the Old Testament in Numbers 25, when they brought the Midianite woman in the camp, and the men of Israel, many had been slain because of their immorality with the Midianites. And this one guy brought a Midianite woman in the camp. 
just been committing adultery with her, and he was just bold and taking on Moses. And all of a sudden, Phinehas took a spear, and he ran, and he ran him through, killed him in front of everybody. And God said, I'll stop my anger right here because Phinehas was zealous for my honor. Put his name down as a memorial in Israel. I had somebody there zealous for my honor. You read it, Numbers 25. Runs a spear through a guy, through his entrails, and dies. And God said, I want this deed recorded and never let it be forgotten. He, this guy that came in with this woman was flaunting my name and thought God was a joke, but not Phinehas. He said, don't you dishonor God in the camp of Israel. Jesus, when he came to the temple and they were selling the doves and making money, the verse was fulfilled that zeal for thy house has consumed me. Romans 12, we ought to be fervent for the Lord, fervent in spirit. Revelation, the seventh church, he says, I know that you're not hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. I tell you, repent and get back to your zeal for me. For I would that you were burning in zeal for me, but instead you become sluggish, satisfied, and you're too busy counting your money to have any spiritual thirst. So there is something about knowing God that makes you fervent for him. Wish we could stay there. Last thing, longing, panting, thirsting for God. Listen to this. As the heart panteth for the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. I'm telling you, thank you all that came to a communion service last Sunday. It was marvelous. What a great... I was under satanic attack all day that nobody would come. But we had a marvelous time. Thank you, saints, for coming and worshiping. You see, what I can't do is give you a thirst for God. If you're already satisfied and you got enough, what can I say? But I read all over in the Bible, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. We're like a deer that comes into these services. I am one of them. I, I not uh, as the model, but I come with a thirst not to preach, but to experience the living God in the midst of the redeemed. Panting, hungry, lamenting how little I prayed, lamenting how little I know him, lamenting my sluggish heart. But some way through the years, through the years of walking with him, still panting to knowing, to experiencing, to weep in his presence, to sing with joy with his people. There is a pant in the heart of those who truly have been affected by God. For they have tasted and seen that this world has nothing on its menu that can quench what I'm really hungry for. What I'm hungry for will demand a glorified body. But in the meantime, I keep crying out to God from a dry and thirsty land. Oh, fill me, Lord, with you. Fill me. Deliver me from the trash heap and the desert journey of this world. I've tasted of things above. I hunger still for them. And it's in every child of God. They've been affected. 
And so when you get out in the world and you start sleeping with the world and eating its menu, you just get soiled. And pretty soon, as James says, you feel as though you're an adulteress. You've been untrue to your heavenly Father and to Christ. There's something about it in the heart. It's not manufactured. I, I can't, can't, you come up here, me inject a shot of emotions or a shot of affections, or it's from one tradition. It's all over the Bible. If you don't have that passion, why don't you talk with God and say, I don't have it. I'm satisfied not panting. I'm satisfied just fine. I just hope the sermons are short. Oh, no, 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 don't rob yourself. He has brought to us who have put faith in Christ. He's unloaded a whole plethora of emotions, affections, experiences. Our Christianity is not just willpower. It's people who have been affected by God. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 